Good morning, and welcome to episode 352 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Thanks for joining me, Sam Miller. Oh, yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, before we start, I just wanted to, uh, to, to shout out Andrew Koo's article at Baseball Prospectus. Um, because I, I think that people should read it, and it relates to something that we talked about uh, not too long ago. Um, we talked about how the A's were built. This was in August, mid-August, episode 266, and we we mentioned that they haven't really been built like the typical small market team. They have acquired a lot of players from outside the organization as opposed to developing their own, and we wondered how they did that, and and whether it's sustainable. Um, and so Andrew wrote about the other platoon advantage uh, that Oakland has has gotten in the last couple of years. The article went up on Wednesday. You can read it, find it at Baseball Prospectus. It's called Oakland's Other Platoon Advantage. And it's about how the A's have not only uh, exploited the lefty-righty platoon matchup that everyone knows about, but they have also exploited the batted ball platoon matchup that is less well known but was was researched in the book uh and it works the the same same way as the the lefty righty platoon split except with ground balls and and fly balls so the a's andrew found over the last couple of years have had a far higher percentage of fly ball hitters than any other team they have acquired many, many fly ball hitters uh, to the point where it doesn't seem like it could be a, a coincidence. And Andrew goes through the numbers and he makes a, a pretty convincing case, I think, that that, that has helped the A's. Uh, they have killed ground ball pitching because of all their fly ball hitters. Fly ball hitters also hit a lot of line drives. Line drives are good. Fly ball hitters are, are, tend to be patient hitters also. Um, so it's an interesting article. It's one of those articles that I wish I had written because it kind of it mixes a, an interesting narrative about the A's and sort of a, a new money ball angle that that they've been exploring with some some interesting stat stuff. Um, so I, I encourage people to go read that article. Uh, and, and that sort of suggests that that in a way that, that this is how the A's have done it. This is how the A's surprised everyone over the last couple of years. It wasn't so much that they, I don't know, that that all the players that they got were so much better than we thought they were, but they have used them in a such a way that, that it really makes them more than the sum of their parts. They've used all these platoons to get the most out of their roster, and maybe we Maybe we've just underrated flyball hitters as a group. Um, so it's it's an interesting article. And uh, everything at, at Baseball Prospectus published today and tomorrow is free. We're kind of doing a, a promotion of sorts uh, timed with, with the holiday season and hoping people that will buy gift subscriptions for people. Uh, so you can go check out the site and read everything that we publish today and tomorrow for free. Uh, so please do that and consider consider giving a gift subscription, which I have I have done in the past. I think before before I even worked for BP, I did that. Um, I have not. 
I've not given one, but I got one for about eight years in a row. It was uh, every year I asked for it, and it was a great present. It was always a great present, and I know that to people who are our age, it feels weird to spend money on words um, <laughs> and on anything on the internet. And it is a great way to get over that weird feeling um, <laughs> by having your parents or somebody else do it. Yeah. No one in my family, by the way, has a Baseball Perspective subscription. <laughs> do, do you have any family members with a Baseball Perspective subscription? No. Yeah. I don't have any family members that would be interested in it. Yeah, me neither. Really. Oh, wait, my, my, my aunt. My aunt does. Actually, my aunt does have a subscription. <laughs> your dad listens to the podcast. It's, which is free. <laughs> he's just just not willing to pay for the, for the site yeah um, okay so moving on to things that that happened uh, today one of the things that you mentioned on your your podcast with will leach was about Brian Cashman's willingness to say things that no other general manager will say and he mm-hmm. he happened to say one of those things today did you see what he oh, said did he? I didn't uh, um, Wallace Matthews of ESPN New York asked Brian Cashman uh, what the status of Carlos Beltran's deal is because it still hasn't been officially announced after two weeks or so. Uh, and Cashman's response was, there are terms to do, physicals to take, items to be worked out when you do a contract. There's no scoop here. Nothing's falling apart. I don't have time to deal with stupid questions like this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And you know that every general manager must be thinking that anytime he's asked almost anything by by a beat writer, by a columnist, but rarely, if ever, actually says that thing. Um, so it's it's interesting that he, he does that. And Will was making the point that it's pretty amazing that Brian Cashman has been a general manager for as long as he has, over 15 years in this market with with the ownership that he has to deal with, with the expectations on that team, with his his own personal sort of public scandals and and his comments, it it really is sort of a an interesting survivor story. Hypothesis. I have a hypothesis. Okay. I've I've noticed I've noticed in the past that um, that if you say something like horribly offensive in public, for you know something that is considered uh, you know retrograde or 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 bigoted or or you know offensive or tacky or whatever the best offense is is generally that you say that stuff all the time like if you're like like adam carolla says things that are like insanely offensive mm-hmm. and you know never really gets suspended because uh, he that that's what he does like he like why are you starting now to notice the things he says he says a hundred offensive things every day right and it's actually the guy who never says anything offensive who like slips one time where you're uh, that, that that guy you, you know usually has a hard time defending himself and ends up getting suspended or fired or whatever the case may be. So could it actually be that um, that this is not a uh, a, a um, an uncorrelated thing that maybe Cashman is bulletproof specifically <laughs> because this is what he does like like. His defense is like I always do this. Like he's he's like the John McCain of of uh, of of uh, GMs. Yeah, although it sort of seems that he he started saying these things fairly recently. I feel like like in the last few years, it wasn't something that he did right from the start. I guess it was once he once he got comfortable in the job, once he got some tenure 
he figured it was time to take the gloves off. And yeah, at this point, when he says one of those things, it's just Brian Cashman saying one of those things again. Um, so it doesn't create much controversy. Um, there were a lot of transactions today. Nothing, nothing major, but a series of minor moves. Uh, and I want to touch on a few of them. Uh, first, there, there were a couple moves. Well, let's start with, with the Royals move. Again, not a big move, but the, the Royals traded David Luff to the Orioles for Danny Valencia. And Seriously, it's Luff? Every time I've ever heard it said out loud, the person says both possible pronunciations just to cover all the bases. Uh, I, so I, I've always thought of it as low, low. And, yeah. and I oftentimes I come up with a pronunciation without ever having heard it said and I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but oftentimes I actually have heard it. I mean, it's not like I haven't, I didn't see a Royals game this year. <laughs> mm -hmm. I probably, I, my guess, the best, the best guess, the mm -hmm. best bet is usually that I've heard it from an announcer, but it's not, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not foolproof. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we can just avoid saying his name again, probably. Um, but in, in my Omar Infante transaction, We'll just for... call him Jack. Just call him Jack Z. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the Omar Infante piece, I, I sort of looked at what the Royals lineup projects to be with with Infante, and I I like it. Um, I I think it 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 looks like a pretty strong lineup. It's one of those lineups that doesn't really. It it has one glaring hole uh, in in Alcides Escobar, but. He's a shortstop, and he's a good defender, and he's pretty young, and maybe he'll get a lucky BABIP and and hit 260 or something, and that's not uh, that's not the worst place to have a hole in your lineup. But everywhere else, top to bottom, was was mm. pretty strong, I think. Mm. Uh, not, I mean, there's no there's no huge star power really in it, unless unless. Uh, Eric Hosmer turns into a, a stud all of a sudden or something, but top to bottom, it's not, there's no, there's no hole. There's Aoki at the top. There's Infante. There's Hosmer, Butler, Gordon, Perez, uh, Kane probably bats eighth. And then there's Moustakis batting seventh and Moustakis possibly could be a hole. Uh, he's, he's projected to be a below average player. He was a, a far below average hitter last year. And this kind of, helps address that that weakness uh in that valencia can can platoon with with moustakis or at least start part-time i don't know whether moustakis will be a, a full-time whether it will be a full-time platoon at least at the start of the season but uh he i mean his his skill set matches up pretty pretty well in that uh moustakis just you know, can't hit lefties, and Valencia hits lefties really well, at least in a in a pretty small sample. So, I like this. It's a it's a minor move, but uh, the outfielder who who shall not be named was sort of expendable. Um, they have Justin Maxwell kind of to be a fourth outfielder after acquiring Aoki, so they got rid of him and they got someone who shores up a lineup that looks pretty good to me. You seem to have some reservations. No, I don't... I'm not sure that they're not um, a decent offense and that they won't be a good offense, but 
um, this is like sort of the standard Royals trap, right? It, <laughs> you're, you're kind of, it, it seems like you're to some degree projecting, um, your best impression on every position. And one of the problems with the Royals lineup is that, um, they don't have, they don't really have one great hitter. No, uh, they don't, they don't say certainly don't have two great hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in order to have a good offense, everybody does need to hit more or less like your best impression of them in your mind. And, um, I mean, they certainly weren't a good offense last year and they've addressed that to some degree by, by, you know, filling their two worst positions, um, and getting a little bit more on base percentage, but the um, worst position in the case of, of second base and Chris gets over the last few years has just been the, the least productive position on any team. Um, uh-huh. I don't know why it took so long to, to address that, but it has been. Uh, well, because Dayton Moore has been strapped with gets since he was cuddled in a cabbage patch. <laughs> um, been holding on to that one for like four months trying to figure out when the right time to use it is. <laughs> I'm glad you got your chance. Um, and the other thing this I like so bad. The other thing so I, horrible. I like uh, about, about this lineup is that, uh, and I wrote this when they acquired Aoki, but I think I sort of jumped the gun on on it, and I said that it sort of Yost-proofed the lineup because I wrote last year a couple times about how Escobar was batting second all the time, and it seemed strange, and briefly that changed, and there was some talk about Yost having reached out to the front office to get an optimized batting order and then abandoned that. But now there's, there's no way, I don't think, that Escobar ends up batting at the top of the lineup when you have Aoki, who is uh, a leadoff hitter, and capital capital L capital H leadoff hitter, and Omar Infante, who sort of fits the the traditional number two type hitter mold. Um, it seems like it will be a a more optimized lineup as well as a better lineup. Well, they had a pretty good pitching staff last year, and they had a great rotation, and they just couldn't hit at all. So. Yes. Sounds like you're sounds like you're buying. Well, I I'm not necessarily buying that they will have that great pitching again, which could be the problem. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't expect them to to lead the league in ERA again necessarily, uh, and have an incredible bullpen and and guys like Guthrie pitching really well for a while, and and Chen and and all of this sort of. I don't know, somewhat fluky performances they got there, but you could also, you could kind of wish cast with, with guys like Giordano Ventura and Kyle Zimmer and say that maybe they'll make up those innings there. But uh, if there is some regression coming on the pitching side, then do what you can to shore up the offense. Uh, and they already had a good defense. So I like, I like what they have done this winter. Just curious, um, remember after the trade when uh, Jeff Passan was sort of making the case for it um, and said it's you know easier to get a corner outfielder um, who, who's passable and has some upside than a starting pitcher? And um, so do you think that having Aoki in right field is proof of that, or uh, is that does that way, way overvalue Aoki? Uh, well, I, I like Aoki. I think he's at least... A- an average guy. Um, it's the Hall of Fame, Ben. It's not the Hall of Getting on Base via Air. <laughs> he would he would be a first ballot member of that Hall of Fame. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't think that was the greatest argument at the time, and I guess I still still don't really. Um, I mean, you well, can, who's the who's the pitching can, who's who's you, the starting pitching equivalent of Aoki? If they had Myers and tried to go get the pitching Aoki on the uh, on the free agent market, is there a name that comes to mind? Uh, is there ever such thing as an undervalued starting pitcher? I guess Bartolo Colon was. Yeah, I arguably think so. Um, I Not mean, necessarily this year, but I don't know. Was were the guys that they acquired last year? I mean, they got good innings out of Irvin Santana, who no one wanted at the time. Uh, he was not, I don't know whether he was undervalued with the contract that he had, but uh, he's hes going to be making more than that now. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you're right. It seems like, to some degree, well, uh, Guthrie costs money, so maybe not. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Um, okay, and... Uh, another couple moves. There was well, what do you think of the uh, the Raul Banyas signing? Where does he fit in with the Angels? I have no issue with it. I was Banyas. You know, RJ and I were talking about this. Banyas <laughs> actually seems like a guy whose whose um, whose public perception is way low because he's played for bad GMs. <laughs> like he's his entire career, he's played for punchline GMs for the most part. And um, not as much recently, but for most of his career, um, you know, he went from the Royals to the Mariners when, you know, it was Bavesi and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Bavesi. It was Bavesi, right? Yeah. Around that era, it was Bavesi. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to, you know, to the Phillies and, and Amaro. And um, so I just feel like Abanez doesn't quite get his due. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Abanez, the, the career arc. The, yes. You know, that's not the same as saying I like him right now. But um, I'm fond of pointing out that he has a, since he's turned 30, he is uh, better than the median Hall of Famer in mm-hmm. the post-30 years. Um, so essentially, he's had half of a Hall of Fame career. It's the less sexy half, but he has had it. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I, I do generally like Ibanez. But yeah, it's uh, you, can't, you can't really go wrong with, with signing a guy for $2.5 million after he put up the same year as Justin Upton at the plate. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he had a really good year last year, and you people will point out his age, and I will uh, continue to insist that in a one-year contract, age is almost entirely irrelevant, and that for the next 365 days, a 41-year-old is very, very, very marginally more risky than a 31-year-old would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it seems like a, a good move for a team that couldn't afford to get anybody. It's not like they could afford to sign anybody who was going to cost more, mm-hmm. um, and it's not like... It would have probably been a good idea if they had, um, knowing what their their payroll situation is like. Um, and uh, you know he'll hit he'll hit some some balls and then he'll go away. Mm-hmm. If there's I like it. if there's one guy that I could that I wish I could just have hit FX information for right now, I think it might be Raul Banyas. Just looking at his gigantic first half second half split and the fact that he hit 24 home runs in the first half. Five home runs in the second half, uh, and and some of that and and his his BABIP was identical in first half second half. His his batted ball rates were identical, really. I, I mean his his ground ball fly ball ratio in the first half was 0.83. In the second half, it was 0.82. He hit just as many line drives according to to Baseball Info Solutions classification. So 
based on, you know, sort of the the brute primitive almost stats that we have in comparison to hit FX information, it looks like he was doing everything the same. And, and I haven't done like a deep dive on it to look at his plate discipline stats or anything, but just based on his batted ball stats and his BABIP and all those things, it looks like he was sort of hitting the ball in the same way that he was earlier in the year, but it wasn't going out. It wasn't, he wasn't getting any sort of good results. So I would love just to, to be able to look at some more granular stuff like speed off the bat and angle off the bat and all of those things just to, to see, because at his age, you wonder whether there's a sort of a sudden collapse risk. Uh, and when you look at what he did after the second half or after, after July, I guess it was, it was not great. So I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to see that, but I can't. You know what? He's a he's a he's just a classic case of the famous home run derby snub curse. And <laughs> right. whenever a whenever a hitter has an insane first half and gets snubbed for the home run derby, <laughs> he usually sees his home runs go down. <laughs> yep, yep. Should have put him in. It's because he was trying to hit home runs to get into the derby. It screwed up his swing. Met, yeah, messed up his swing sitting at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, the the Rockies made a couple moves and. Uh, I guess in in isolation, I'm I'm okay with those moves, or at least the the move for Drew Stubbs. They they traded Josh Outman to the Reds uh, or to the Indians, sorry for for Drew Stubbs. Um, and I kind of like this move in that one of the reasons that I I thought the Boone Logan signing was sort of strange was that it gave them three lefties. It seemed like if anything, they had a surplus of lefties. So now they, they traded one of those lefties. Uh, they also traded for another lefty, Franklin Morales, today. But uh, four lefties probably would have been overkill. They traded one of them for Drew Stubbs. And I, I sort of, I like I like this move for them. Um, Stubbs is, is a good outfielder, or at least certainly has the reputation of being a very good outfielder. So you figure that will be useful in Coors Field. They now have... Uh, what looks like it will be a, a pretty good defensive outfield. They also they also traded for for Brandon Barnes recently in the the Dexter Fowler trade, and I didn't like the Dexter Fowler trade, but Brandon Barnes was second on that list that Craig Gentry was at the top of of the yeah. the the rate of of team batted balls recorded that were that were turned into outs by a center fielder. Barnes was Man, second somebody- on that list. Can you please do a something on Brandon Barnes' defense, please, please? Because like his numbers are insane. Yeah. If you if you believe them, then he's better than Dexter Fowler probably right uh-huh. now. Mm-hmm. And yet he doesn't have the body of a great center fielder. He doesn't have the speed. Of, it doesn't seem of a great center fielder. He's you know he's never been a distinguished player in really any capacity. He's mm-hmm. not young even. He's like twenty eight or mm-hmm. so. So do you, I need you to do a, I need you to do one of your famous. <laughs> I'll watch every fly ball that was hit yeah. anywhere near Brandon Barnes. And come I'm going to need you to do that for me. Okay. Um, Have it on my desk by Friday. Sure. So between Barnes and Carlos Gonzalez and Stubbs, it seems like a pretty good defensive outfield. And Stubbs seemed like, seems like the sort of hitter who might be helped by going to Coors Field in that he has really struggled to hit curveballs more than anything else. If you look at 
his results when he makes contact with a curveball and also the fact that he rarely does make contact with a curveball um, seems like he could be helped by going to Coors because we've referenced before that article by Dan Rosenson at BP about how curveballs seem to be affected more than than maybe any other pitch type by the altitude and, and the different break, the reduced break. Uh, so he seems like the kind of guy who maybe offensively would be helped by going to Coors Field. Um, and so maybe he'll be decent for them. And and for the Indians, he was sort of expendable after the, the David Murphy signing. So I kind of kind of like that move. I, I still don't really have a great handle on, on what the Rockies are, are doing this winter. Uh, trading Fowler, but then also sort of bringing in some veterans. It's kind of a confusing sort of schizophrenic offseason. And... I guess we can lump them in with another. Just that, that's your that's the that's the entirety of the schizophrenia as they traded uh, Fowler while also trying to add players who they thought would make him better. Yeah, I I don't know and well, Jeez, I mean they they got a 23 year old who's got 400 career innings and a defensive center fielder who I just said might be better than Fowler, <sighs> and Fowler was about to get expensive. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Jordan Lyles. Maybe I'm underrating him. Um, no, no, he's terrible. But I'm, I mean, it, it, the the <laughs> but the trade is. I mean, to me, it felt it felt defensible. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, so so two NL West teams have been pretty active this this winter, and and we at the beginning of the offseason, I think we talked about the Dodgers, and and we said that there was really no competition for them almost in the division; that they were the clear favorites. Um, is that that's still the case? Are you are you buying the the Padres surprise team thing? Which we've I feel like we've heard that for the last I don't know two years at least that, that the Please, Padres we've are been saying that for the last two years. We haven't even been recording for two years, and we've been saying that for two years. <laughs> I don't know uh, that I've been saying it, but people have, have been, been saying I've, it. I've been saying nice things so, about the Padres so the, since about the second episode. Uh huh. So the Padres signed Joaquin Benoit yesterday. Uh, or today, and kind of that fills the the Luke Gregerson role. And I wasn't a big fan of the Gregerson trade since it sort of seemed like Seth Smith was was redundant on their roster. But then someone pointed out that uh, that he's not really because Carlos Quentin is going to get hurt at some point, almost inevitably. I think Jeff Young made that point. Um, and so you almost have to just carry someone expecting that Carlos Clinton will get hurt. Um, so if you look at the Padres pitching staff, it's looking looking pretty strong. Uh, the rotation, certainly, between Kennedy and Kashner and Josh Johnson and Tyson Ross, who looked good last year, and Lupke, um, and they have some, some depth beyond that uh, and lots of minor leaguers on the way and I guess a I don't know not a not a great bullpen but some guys in there Ben Y helps I I still I'm not I can't I'm not sure whether I'm buying them as a contender in 2014 yet but they are getting there getting close are you buying it uh no as I recall um what we said in Roughly the first week of the show was that they were a team that seemed to never make bad moves. And they like they just have been clicking along for three years without a single bad move, and that still seems to be the case. But somehow they, 
uh, haven't it hasn't really turned into anything that I think is a, a serious threat for 92 wins. No. And partly I think that's because uh, I think I might be wrong about this, but quietly it feels like their uh, top three pro- uh, farm system of a couple mm-hmm. years ago has very quietly produced nothing. Like it, mm-hmm. it seems like they've almost that farm system. It wasn't as good as the 2010 Royals or 2011 Royals, 2010 Royals, mm-hmm. but in in some ways maybe has even been more disappointing. Mm-hmm. So uh, part of what, you know, what seemed to always be good moves was building this really great farm system and, you know, the farm system still has to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the fact that they haven't spent much money. Um, and I think it was Joe Sheehan maybe made the case in the, the last episode of the of his podcast with Randy that, uh, that they've sort of escaped notice or escaped criticism as a, a low payroll team that all the, all the ire that has been directed at say the Astros and the Marlins uh, has not been directed at the Padres and that maybe they've, they've sort of skated by. Then again, if you, if you look at that, I mean, they did spend twice as much money as, as those two teams last year. So, uh, and they spent more than the A's and more than the Rays and more than the Pirates. Um, yeah. So, I don't think the Pirates. I don't. I don't feel like the Padres have been um, tanking in any considerable. I'm not even sure the Padres are spending lower than their than their capacity, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you said they haven't spent money. You know, neither did the Pirates. That somehow right. the Pirates made that leap without really spending. I mean, they added um, three famous names: Martin and Burnett and um, Liriano, without really taking on much money. Um, and, uh, you know, somehow they made that jump. The Padres just, I still don't think the Padres have made that jump, even with, you know, Kennedy and, and Benoit and whatever. Yeah, they, I, I don't see the offense there, really. Uh-uh. Uh, yeah, the, the lineup is, is not strong. I like it less than the Royals lineup. All right, well, those were those were really the, the interesting moves. Uh, the Cubs, as we... As we begin to record, sign Jonathan Sanchez, but I have nothing to say about that. Uh, and the the Mariners. Oh uh, no, oh. you do have something to say about that. Do I? Yeah, he's on my he's on my list. Oh, was he? He was. Yeah, oh, he was, your list, was... our list of minor league free agents. Yeah, so that's uh-huh. big news. That is a team he could pitch on. Man, that's upsetting. Mm. <laughs> we will have to do an up, an update on that at some point this winter. Uh, yeah, but I I lost somebody to uh, to to Korea. Yes, you was did. it Wolf? I lost Wolf to yes, Korea. Yes, Russ Wolf. Uh, and it just dawned on me that I was all excited when the White Sox signed Alex Liddy because they had no third baseman. Now after the oh. Matt Davidson trade, they they kind of have a third baseman. So that, yeah. that's upsetting. Um, so, but we'll we'll do an update on that at the end of the offseason once all these guys have signed or once it's clear that they're not going to sign, and we'll see who actually did better there. Um, and that's probably it. The other the other move was the Mariners signing uh, Franklin Gutierrez, which uh, which is is nice for them. He seems like a, a decent fit. He's a right-handed hitting outfielder. All of their outfielders are left-handed hitting. And he he can probably still play center if he's healthy, so that that seems like a, a pretty good fit. Uh, and that was the day in transaction. So 
We will be back with another show tomorrow, an email show tomorrow. Uh, send us emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. And if you're not a Baseball Prospectus subscriber, then remember to visit the site over the next day or two to take it for a spin and see if you like it. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow. 44 minutes with Will Leach. Didn't you tell him you prefer to keep it to 12? What's your point? <laughs> Just a little hurt. You don't want me promoting the, the show? I, just, I want you going 44 minutes with me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I do. <laughs> <laughs>